Welcome, Welcome to, to episode 47, a safe space for all who seek. You are joining Kendall Heath and Debbie Chisholm as we journey into the heart of community for an authentic and candid exploration into the light. We are seekers just like you, holding a space for all of us, teachers and students together in community, conversation, and connection. Join us for an hour of heart-centered dialogue and discovery. Welcome to episode 47 of the Spiritual Charlotte podcast. This is Kendall Heath. I'm your host. And um, one day I'm going to remember that we have a show intro that records at the top of the show and I won't immediately start speaking. So (laughs) that'll be a good day. Um, I am so excited today. We are doing part two on the Urantia book with Thomas Urjala. And we did part one in episode 44 and got so excited about all that was possible because the book is just an enormous masterpiece and you really have to break it up into sections and digest it over time. And So Thomas agreed to come on and help us work through this text because he is the Inland Northwest uh, Urantia Society president. He's also a general counselor of the Urantia Book Fellowship and he's been working with um, this revelation that is the Urantia book for decades. And so um, for those of you who have not listened to episode 44, I recommend that you go back maybe after this uh, show and just get a general overview if you're not familiar with the Urantia book. I first met Thomas at the Wild Goose Festival in Hot Springs, North Carolina, where he was there to um, inform people about the Rancha book. And we just had a wonderful conversation, and his heart for the work really shined through. And I just needed to find out more about uh, this book. And when I opened the book after receiving it in the mail from, I believe, the Rancha Society, you know, it is truly something that could not have been created by man. Um, it is a profound piece of work that has uh, ideas in it and um, and explanations of how our universe works and why we're here and um, the history of our world and the life and teachings of Jesus and so many other things that the intelligence that is in the book is just impossible for someone to have created or even a group of human beings to have created without some type of divine uh, revelation coming through. And so um, I have been in a very slow study of the book and in exploring uh, in the Charlotte area, are there groups that are studying this book? I've only been able to find one, maybe two, quite a distance from where we're located, a Lighthouse Spiritual Center in Mooresville. And so Thomas has graciously agreed to get us started uh, on a podcast with a little bit of this exploration, and then possibly we can bring this into the local Charlotte area um, where more groups will be interested in learning. So without uh, further ado, I'd like to not waste time on other announcements this morning because we have so much to talk about. So I'd like to welcome Thomas to the show. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Kendall? I'm doing great. I'm I'm really, um, you know, I've been looking forward to this since the last time that we talked and kind of gave the best general overview that we could put together in one hour. I think we probably deserved an award for that. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
Yeah, it's just such yeah, a big piece of work. And mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to cover, that's Today, for sure. There is a lot to cover. And you guys, please bear with us. There's a little bit of a sound delay for us um, because, uh, Thomas, you're in, in what town and state? I'm in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Yeah, quite a ways from North Carolina. So <laughs> so we'll do the best we can. Thomas, I know today what we've decided to focus on is paper 100. Um, there are 196 papers, as far as I can tell, in the book. And paper 100 directly deals with religion and human experience and spiritual growth and uh, just the processes of um, spiritual evolvement. And so I'm going to follow your lead this morning and let you sort of take off with a good starting point. And and I'm just going to become a student along with our listeners and see what we can glean out of this part of, of the work. Great. Well, paper 100 to me is one of the best papers in the Arantia book. I mean, they're all amazing, but... Um, it's it's one that looks directly at how do we grow spiritually, and, and so many people kind of struggle with that. Like, well, what is growth, or what is what should I be doing? Should I just be a good person, or should I go join a monastery, or should I, you know, well, what what's that whole realm about? And there's a lot of confusion on our planet. There's lots of religions, there's lots of philosophies, <clears throat> millions of books you can read on how to be a better person. And and the way the Ranch book looks at it is that there's these key factors that contribute to our spiritual development. And they lay them out pretty clearly. I mean, it's kind of sprinkled through the book, but Paper 100 <clears throat> seems to have, like, the best breakdown of of how we can actually grow spiritually. And, you know, it starts out by saying, experience of dynamic religious living transforms the mediocre individual into a personality of idealistic power. I mean, that's like, um, who wouldn't want to have idealistic power? And, you know, and most of us feel mediocre at times, right? We don't feel like we've got it all together. Um, As religion ministers to the progress of all through fostering the progress of each individual, and the progress of each is augmented through the achievement of all. So it paints this picture right off the bat that as we grow, others grow, and as others grow, we grow. So so if we want to have a healthy world, I think which is kind of the ultimate goal, that we, we have a world where there's not wars and crime and abuse, um, it kind of falls on on our shoulders to to seek a way to grow spiritually, to become a perfected human, you know, to grow towards towards the light, as a lot of people say. Mm-hmm. And and as we do that, it's like we we develop this idealistic power. And some people call it charisma or peace of mind or radiance or whatever you want to call it. But you, you can see it in people. When people start to do their work, right, it's like, oh, wow, you know, I want to be around you. Maybe that will rub off on me. You know, it's like... It's very attractive mm-hmm. and it's idealistic, and and as we do that and draw people to us or are drawn to, or drawn to them, there's this kind of synergy that happens where we we all seem to benefit from it. So when one person chooses to grow, it inspires others to grow. So it's 
it's almost like you know, it's like that virus of love. It, it's kind of infectious. You know, we can all be infected by somebody else's virus, you might say, but in a good way. So it, um, yeah, it starts right off saying that that uh, the way to, the way to grow is to well, we'll just kind of look at some other parts of it here. You said that you had uh, kind of looked at paper one hundred and maybe had some questions, so. So feel free to ask any question of what you've, you know, read and are wondering about. Well, I'd like to, I I would like to ask about how does paper 100 deal with religion versus spirituality or the marriage of the two? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good spot to start, you know, because when you think about religion, a lot of people think of, oppressive, ecclesiastical authority. And, you know, if we were living a thousand years ago, <clears throat> it would be such a different world. It was religion dominated everything, you know. And I'm not talking about just the church, but, you know, the whoever the village, you know, shaman was or something, not, not all ministers, not all shamans were great holy men. Some of them were corrupted, you know, some of them wielded too much power. So it's, um, so religion kind of has a bad rap and the way the ranch book looks at religion is it defines religion in such a way that, that we're all religious, not always in the spiritual sense, but we're like religion is simply a devotion to some ideal. Right. And like, if you think about, a supposedly irreligious mother with her child, right? <clears throat> the way she raises that child is like a religious experience, totally devoted, totally committed, do anything, you know, to protect that child. <clears throat> and so that's really like a religious act, believing in something and then wholeheartedly, you know, living that, that life that you believe in. And so when we go on a spiritual journey, um, some of us, I think, get kind of shy about, well, I don't know if I want to look religious. You know, I just want to be a good person and, you know, help my fellows. <clears throat> but it, it ultimately becomes a religious experience. And the only job we have is just to, like, get over the idea that religion is somehow not a good thing just because religious organizations and individuals have mis- misuse their their power as religious authorities. Does that make sense? You know, it it does make perfect sense because even in um, the community that I'm a part of here in Charlotte and Lake Norman, one of the things that um, in my own ministry that I talk about is that it really behooves us to make peace with our religions of origin so that we can just show up and be present with what is, as opposed to showing up and being present in our woundedness and and really buying into that misuse of power. Um, You know, kind of like why would we give someone else that much power to take away from us what is innately part of our human experience? Right. You know, and the ranch book really gets into emphasizing the the power of personal religious experience. <clears throat> you know, in the old days, I mean, back before the printing press, for example, if you wanted to hear the word of God, you had to go to church, hear what the priest said. Mm. And the priest said, I am drinking the blood of 
you know, Christ, people thought that was what was happening. They thought there was the blood of Christ in that cup. They didn't know they were ignorant, right? Whatever the priest said was true. They did not question it, right? Very few. It was kind of dangerous to question it. But now we really have the freedom with so much information and so much spiritual stuff in print and on the Internet we now have the ability to develop our own personal relationship with the creator, whatever you want to call that spiritual presence out there. I don't care what you call it, but it's, it's still, it's the same power, right? Regardless of names. And, and there really is no better thing in life than to have your own personal connection with higher sources, right? And it's okay. unfortunate that so, that so many people still feel like they have to go to some religious authority to get their, you know, to get their religion. Like they have to, you know, I'm not saying it's bad to belong to a church or uh, any religious group. It's, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fact, it can be one of the best experiences in life. But to think you can only get your religious experience or your spiritual growth through an organized source, that, that, that's a mistake. You know, People need to be self-empowered and go within and know that they are having a direct relationship with source. And it's not intervened by any other person or organization. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more about that. And, you know, obviously the, the Arantia book speaks to that in paper 100 there's a there's a section in here that i think is an interesting statement in the spiritual growth uh so paper 100 chapter 2 and it talks about uh spiritual progress is predicated on intellectual recognition of spiritual poverty coupled <laughs> with the self-consciousness of perfection hunger the desire to know God and be like him, and the wholehearted purpose to do the will of the Father in heaven. That particular statement has some wording in it that I think is interesting. Can you speak to that? Well, I have noticed multiple places in the Arantia book it talks about that idea that we have to recognize our spiritual poverty, <clears throat> and it says it in different ways, but... Um, it's like there's these steps to spiritual growth, and it starts with the recognition recognition that we're just not there. Like usually it'll often be a crisis which will initiate our growth, like something is just not working here. I'm, I'm like suffering. I'm not happy. Things are falling apart around me. <clears throat> and that's, that's the stimulus that we have that actually, I mean, if nothing was ever wrong, would we ever want to change anything? You know, it's only in the times of crisis that we have these great opportunities to grow. People say, oh, no, I'm in a crisis. And I'm like, yeah, you're in a crisis. You use that sucker. <laughs> you know, like, you know, grow from it because those are great opportunities to, uh, to reassess your life and your connections with, you know, higher power because we, we tend to suffer most when we have the least amount of connection to source, Right. We get out on the material vine too far, and then the material world whips us around a little bit, and we're like, ah, this this hurts. This is not working. But when we go within, reconnect, realize that we're just temporal beings on this evolving planet, and, uh, you know, things happen. 
then we can kind of take the more long-range picture and say, oh, but this, mm-hmm. what I'm really here for is to learn some basic lessons of how to live as a human, how to develop myself, how to learn how to get along with people, how to love people. You know, I'm learning these lessons that are really lessons that have eternal value, right? They're, they're, these are things that are going to stay with us throughout eternity, <clears throat> and I'm just here to learn them. I'm just I'm in basic training on a rather confused world, but what a great place to learn, right? You're out at boot camp and on a rock in space, and, and so the spiritual poverty that we experience the other the other side of the coin is perfection hunger, right? It's like I'm tired of suffering. I want I don't want to suffer. I want to find out what what's it like to live a perfected life, to have idealistic power, to be free from worries and you know, when people talk about the Maya, the illusion, it's like it's not really fun to be caught up in the illusion. You know, it's it's a it can be a very disconcerting place to be. And uh-huh. once you begin that journey, I mean, truly begin it. And people that have begun it kind of know when they begin it. It's like, okay, I used to be this way, and then something switched in me. And now what I think about, I don't think about how to, how to make myself happy all the time. I don't think about how to lord over other people i think about how to help people i think how how to perfect myself so i can be a better person to help more people you know that that's that switch kind of changes that direction you've actually become recognized in the universe as this bona fide spiritual entity and it doesn't matter the state the state of evolution you're at you know what i mean some people think oh i'm, just, I'm such a, a loser you know but <clears throat> Once you flip that switch and like kind of pointed yourself Godward, then you're now like a being that's actually moving somewhere. Because there's people that, you know, they might be high stature in a priesthood, let's say, or a spiritual circle, but maybe they've stopped growing, right? And who's who's better off? Somebody of high stature that stopped growing or somebody of low stature that's actually moving forward. That would be, that would be moving forward than, than stuck in some intellectual satisfying place, right? Like, oh, I've attained such and such mm-hmm. a level. You know what I mean? And people tend to get stuck in that, and they, they just they stop growing. So, you know, my, my point here is just that, you know, when you start the journey, if you stay on the path, you're going to get to the destination, Anyway. Well, as you're speaking about that, there's two questions that that come up for me. Um, and so the first one is this idea that I think when I when we talk about this idea of spiritual poverty versus you know imperfection hunger, I think about what appears to be a contrast in different traditions about this idea about us being born into original sin versus maybe the idea that you might find in, I don't know, Buddhism regarding your original wholeness. And so I have questions about um, how we can kind of make a translation between what the Urantia book is saying about this and what we see in some of these traditions regarding these two 
topics. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, the whole thing of original sin or, you know, it's really unfortunate that it's almost like a blight on humanity's thinking, this concept of original sin. Like we were never, never sinners. You know, I mean, primitive man was pretty crude and wasn't very much of a good sight to look at, right? But we had to start somewhere. I mean, evolution doesn't skip any steps. We just kind of evolved out of the muck, you know, and through millions and millions and millions of years of evolution, we finally have evolved humans, you know, in comparatively recent times, humans have appeared on the planet. And there is no sin to drag forward, right? I mean, the mistakes of our fathers do kind of tend to drift into each generation, but in each generation, you know, each future generation, we do have the opportunity to eliminate those errors of thinking, right? And that's what the evolution of religious and spiritual thinking is about, is gradually removing the older ideas, such as concepts that were evil, or there's an evil eye, or evil spirits, or malevolent ghosts, or whatever, with forward-looking ideas like, oh, there's a, a loving creator and there's angels hovering around us and there's positive spirit forces that shine upon me. And all I need to do is just open my eyes, look that direction, instead of looking back at what used to be and what our forefathers might have thought, you know, well-intentioned, maybe they didn't, they just didn't know better. Why not look forward? One way I heard it put is, is we're... Humanity is right now in this transition phase between looking back at the religions of fear and looking forward to the religions of love, right? It's like we're kind of right in between that transition because half of us still got our foot stuck in the door of the religion of fear, right? And the other half of us are like looking forward. Oh, we're the religions about love. You know, it's not about fear, and as we make that transition into religions of love, you know, then religions become this delicious, wonderful place to hang out, right? So not the negative and oppressive and guilt-ridden religions that many of us do as we grew up. And, yeah, the original wholeness, you know, there's always those traditions, too, of oh, in the good old days, right? Back in the days of Eden or whatever, you know, it's like well, humanity has gone through many, many phases in a million years, right? We've had wonderful civilizations. We've had just brutal, terrible situations. And, you know, we've, we've had it all. Like, um, you know, civilizations come and go. I mean, there was a time in Egypt where civilization was at an incredible level. And then as, as that declined, the Hebrews were in captivity, right? But at the very end of the great days of the Egyptian thinking, right, the high spiritual culture they had, the Hebrews grabbed the remnants of it, and then they started the Hebraic religion. They took the best of the Egyptians, right? And so it kind of, they kind of kept that light alive for a while, but then, you know, they too became kind of encrusted with old ideas and, and uh, lost some of their their power to really help people. So so it's, it's just not, it's a long evolutionary journey of um, taking what we have and looking for ways to improve it and, and refine it and evolve it into a higher and higher 
level and you know we talk about revelations we talked about the last episode that last time we met about how revelation is really the way that deity or god or spirit helps humans to um, sift the truth from the air right kind of shift sift the wheat you know from the chaff and it's pretty difficult to do it just on our own. You know, given enough time, humanity would eventually be able to eliminate the errors of our thinking and put in place the, you know, the, the highest thinking. But it, it takes so long that we need occasionally for a prophet or you know, some type of revelatory higher being or person or book or something to arrive that would say, oh, well, let's let's hold on a minute, let's take another look at this and. And the ranch book is just a very intense and in-depth, um, inspiring, very spiritually centered document that gives us this uh, clarity around um, how we can take our old religious ideas and gradually upgrade them to fit current times and current thinking and then actually take the world to a better place because, you know, we you know, we looked at the wars and stuff, and wars are going to keep happening as long as we're in these kind of less than spiritual, kind of fear-ridden places, right, where we're afraid of our enemies, right? And instead of, like, loving our enemies, we fear them, and so we build weapons to protect ourselves from them, and one thing leads to the next, right? And so the sooner we can have religions of love instead of religions of fear, the sooner wars will end and child abuse and hunger and just the list goes on, right? So so I've got some thoughts about right. that. So does the Urantia book uh specifically maybe in paper one hundred but also the teachings uh, about the life of Jesus, does does that is there a crucial line that is drawn between the old ways of perceiving and the new ways of forward thinking and working towards love, is there a line drawn by the prophet Jesus um, according to the Urantia book? You mean like like uh, be, between the old ways of thinking and the new ways of thinking? Yes. Well, I think Jesus was definitely a line in that, when he came, you know, it was kind of earth-shaking. I mean, Jesus' teachings have really kind of uh, stirred things up on our planet. Um, you know, Christianity, for all of its positivity and some of its faults, has, hasn't has really been the true exponent of Jesus' teachings. It's got some of his teachings, uh, but it also has a lot of confusing dogma and theory and letters to the Corinthians and all this kind of stuff that wasn't really what Jesus taught. It's what humans thought, right? Or what humans conjectured or what humans kind of came up with is, well, gee, we had this great guy came to our planet. Now, what are we going to do with it? Well, let's start a church and let's have, you know, this and that going on. And and it kind of it kind of became a story about Jesus more than the teachings of Jesus. And what's really important in the Yantra book says is is the teachings of Jesus, like how he lived his life and what he said. It's not so much oh he died on the cross and you know like a kind of 
compare Jesus dying on the cross to like somebody has a you know somebody has a car accident and you know parents die in a car accident and they put this model of their crushed bodies up on the wall and um, you know it's like that's what we do with Jesus right it's like we put this mm-hmm. model of his wounded body up on the cross and when and we like talk about that all the time like why would we talk about our dead parents like look at the crash man it was really bloody and here here they are to behold like who cares about that right who cares about jesus on the cross i mean yeah it's got some symbolism that's important but what we really want to know is like what what did he say when he was here like what kind of life did he live uh, you know, that's what inspires me. Like, I don't care how people die in a car accident. Like, tell me what your folks taught you. You know, if I'm, you, you guys turned out to be great. You must have great parents. Tell me about them. I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's where Christianity has gone. I'm sorry. You know, it's like, yeah. let's, let's get yeah. the action scene, get, get on to what, what goodness we can get out of this life and teachings of this wonderful individual. So, so anyway, that's, you know, yeah, Christianity kind of. Go ahead. Well, I, t- I totally agree with you. To ask a question about Jesus is not necessarily, um, you almost don't even have to, uh, Christianity can be the side note. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah. in Paper 100, yeah, in Paper 100, you know, I, there's just so much hope to me in um, the role of Jesus in this, evolutionary story you know paper 100 it's it's uh chapter two and then verse seven jesus portrayed the profound surety of the god-knowing mortal when he when he said to a god-knowing kingdom believer what does it matter if all things earthly crash temporal securities are vulnerable but spiritual sureties are impregnable when the flood tides of human adversity and selfishness, cruelty, hate, malice, and jealousy beat about the mortal soul, you may rest in the assurance that there is one inner bastion, the citadel of the spirit, which is absolutely unassailable. At least this is true of every human being who has dedicated the keeping of his soul to the indwelling spirit of the eternal God. And then it goes on to talk about the the hope in that, and to me that there that just gets right to the point. Oh yeah, isn't that, isn't that a great section? Section. It's just um, yeah. You know, when I when I first read that, it's like that. Um, you know, well, what does it matter if all things fail? You know, it's like that's, that's helped me so many times because I'll. You know, I do construction, and I'll have a job where it's just, like, over my head, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, what am I going to do here? And, I, you know, i got these, I got these big problems I deal with, and, you know, they, they work out in the end. But, but then I have to always stop and think, well, this is just a temporal experience. It doesn't matter if this world crashes. It doesn't matter if we all die in a holocaust of nuclear bombs. I mean, we don't. nobody wants that. But it doesn't matter because our spiritual soul will will survive this world right and as as odd as that seems to think that way it's it's really the only place we really have to go when when 
the flood tides of, of human adversity and selfishness and cruelty, hate, malice, you know, beat upon us, right? It's like, it's the only place we can go is within and realize, oh, this outer stuff is pounding upon me, but I have my inner self, my inner consciousness of who I truly am. It's it's the one place we can go and be safe, right? It's the one, it's the one place that's unassailable, right? It's it's just it's just so it's so sweet to have that, and I see people that don't have that. I just I really feel for them. I think they have nowhere to go. You know, at least they don't know that they have somewhere to go. And they just get torn apart yeah. by the institutes of life. And yeah. Well, and I think there's so much hope in the verse that comes after that because it says, after such spiritual attainment, whether secured by gradual growth or specific crisis, there occurs a new orientation of personality as well as a development of a new standard of values. And such spirit-born individuals are so remotivated in life that they can calmly stand by while their fondest ambitions perish and their keenest hopes crash, but they positively know that such catastrophes are but the redirecting cataclysms which wreck one's temporal creation's preliminary, preliminary to the rearing of the more noble and enduring realities of a new and more sublime level of universe attainment. And to me, part of what that says to me is that that if the world doesn't blow up tomorrow, at least if you've done the spiritual work, that you can work towards the aspects of love and unselfish, unselfish ministry and wholehearted giving to to make for a different type of reality, a different type of future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the only way the future is going to get better is if we get better, you know, if we get centered and and let these cataclysms and these life experiences actually, you know, we use them as a, as a fulcrum to redirect our attention to the higher realities. And, uh, you know, those, you know, and everybody, I think everybody can relate to that paragraph you just read because we have these cataclysms that just wreck our temporal ambitions and force us to reconsider and redirect our energies and most of us oddly enough will look back on those things and say wow it really turned out to be kind of a good thing in the end it was terrible at the time but look where I am now you know it's like people actually grow from those those struggles of mortal existence they're 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 actually put in our path intentionally, I believe. I mean, the design of material living, you know, I think I think the mind of the creator was was not asleep at the time that, you know, evolutionary worlds were put into existence. Um, the only way that a material being can grow is through adversity. We just will not grow in a comfortable, ease-filled environment. And I, I pity people that are born rich that have a life of ease because they have a really tough time growing. They're just, they're so limited. Whereas people that are poor or people that have struggles, you know, they're, they they have this great opportunity to say, oh, wow, I got to look at my life and figure out new ways to live because the way it's going now ain't too good. Maybe I'll you know, they they actually have that impetus to seek for better ways to live. So, yeah, and the, 
you know what what better than to have more noble and endearing realities to look you know to instead of you know to look look towards uh, you know kind of says uh, the more noble and enduring realities of a new and more sublime level of universe attainment. And, and your Hatcher book speaks in terms like universe attainment. Like most religions or philosophies don't use these kind of broader strokes of the brush, you know. Like the concept of universe attainment, to me it's delicious. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to attain more of the universe, you know, and be someone who grows and uh, understands more and comprehends the, the, how mind, the mind of God works. And, you know, to me, that's, that's a wonderful journey to be on. It's, uh, it's an endless journey. We'll never quite get to the end of it. It'll be eternal because there's just more of God to know than we can trillions of years ever know. But what a grand adventure to be on. And if you have to, if you think about it, the material world is what average of eighty years. Eternity is what? How many years is that? You know. And so if you if you if you invest a lot into eighty years, when really the investment should be preparing for the trillions and trillions and trillions of years that lie ahead of us, once we leave this rock, that that's a more enduring place to invest your time and talent and money. I think is to discovering you know, what's coming up next and how can I prepare for that? And in the process of preparing for that, it makes this life go just that much easier. We're, we're just more centered and healthier and happier. We raise better families and the community thrives because, we're, you know, we're a part of that and we contribute to it. And you know, there's somewhere in the Arantia book where it says, it kind of, like I said, it takes a, a long-range picture and paints a big brush, but it says, you know, imagine after... You know, like say you've been around for, you know, say in this world, you've already touched thousands of lives, right? But imagine having lived, say, 10 million years, right? And you're on a planet somewhere out among the galaxies and, you know, you're moving from world to world and stage to stage. And, you know, you've, you've left this wake of goodness and, and touched beings, right? <clears throat> and what they say is that when they look at at somebody at that state, it's just incomprehensible to imagine the universe without your presence in it, right? <clears throat> because we mm. each just touch us. Mm-hmm. Are you there, Thomas? Thomas, you may have hit the mute button. <clears throat> so we've lost sound with Thomas for a second. Um, Thomas, if you can hear me, I'm going to have you um, hang up and call back into the show because I think we've lost the connection. But, you know, what you're saying um, is filled with so much hope as far as the wake that we create as as spirits in the world and um that's that's a tremendous idea to think about um let me find out if i can get you back on air uh real quick thomas and we'll see what we can are you there okay so thomas is calling back we'll pick up his call here in just a second 
Um, we're talking about uh, the Arantia book, Paper 100, and some of the hope that is available in that, some of the larger picture that um, it paints as far as how we can live in a way that uh, has uh, spirit and um, religious concepts in, in a different way than we understand religion, how we can live in that way to make for a better uh, future in this world and beyond. Let me pull Thomas back into the show. Thomas, um, Yeah, I had a call come in, and I didn't realize. I pushed the wrong button. (laughs) I I, I was trying to put him on hold, and I put you on hold. I'm sorry, so I got it figured out. No problem. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I think that the question that that idea raises that you could have that much, you have that much of a wake behind you as a, as a spirit or a being that is moving between worlds. What about the wake, the wake of pain that you might, uh, might cause along the journey? How does the Rancher book handle that? Well, you know, that's an interesting term wake of pain. It's a, uh, kind of an ouchy image. It's like, Ooh, um, well, <laughs> well, you know, I, I like the way that Rianch book talks about the part and the whole. I think I mentioned this the last time we were on, but it's the idea that that we're parts of the whole of humanity, and if our part is causing pain, right, to others, then we do leave a wake of pain, right? We're actually a detriment to the whole of humanity. Whereas if we go about doing good, then we're actually a, a, a contribution to the betterment of humanity. And if you look at the world right now, if you could put it in a blender, you know, and just say, what do we got here? You know, it's, it's really just whatever that average is of the good in the world and the evil in the world, right? And as the good increases, right, you start to read news articles about, oh, this great thing's happening over here. Oh, this is great. Well, you know, and, and as more evil takes over, you start to hear about, oh, another war broke out and another corruption scandal and abuse. You know, it, it's it's kind of like we're in this struggle for positive growth and evolution and enlightenment. And, and the bad news is that it takes a long time, right? And the good news mm. is that we have an opportunity. We've got 80 years to do our best to make this world a better place before we leave, right? And then the next generation gets to work on it, right? And it's a long, it's a long, long journey because each generation has to do its part to move the ball down the field. And if one generation kind of forgets to do that, then it's like there's no growth. There's just kind of the same as ever. And one reason I was so drawn to the Rancher book is it seems to be, you know, a guideline for how we can move the ball down the field, how we can actually create a much better planet, which, by the way, is called Urantia. It's the name that these authors give our planet. And so we're almost, it's like we're all players on the team, right? And we all push the ball a little bit. Sometimes we fumble it, you know? <laughs> And other times we mm-hmm. actually make a good pass, right? And we, you know, we're, we're seeing the goalposts coming up, right? But it's, like I say, it's a long journey. And it'll probably take uh, many, many thousands of years for our planet to get to a state where there are
are no wars. We're starting to move into one language. Um, the races are pretty much blended, so there's not such a big deal about what color you are, what stripes you have, right? And, you know, that those eras can come sooner or later depending on human willingness to go that direction. And, you know, Revelation the book says, is a technique to shorten that time to get down to the goalpost, right? It's, it's we'll, we'll get there one way or the other. It's just, will it take 10,000 years? Will it take 50,000 years? Will it take a million years? How long is it going to take to get to the, you know, the goalpost? And, and I'm, I really appreciate your answer with being here because I truly believe it is, you know, the field manual, how to get down to the goalposts. And, uh, mm. That's why I spend a lot of time encouraging people to read it, you know. Thomas, how does the, I, I know whenever you talk um, and you talk about 80 years, 80 years here, um, tell me how the Urantia book deals with the idea of multiple lives here on Urantia and kind of the karmic cycle of working those things out in multiple lifetimes uh, here. Because, um, from when when you speak, it almost sounds like you don't. That's not really part of your personal paradigm. Well, well, here's here's the deal. It's like humans get belief systems, right? And so, Kendall, if you believe in past lives, let's say, um. Did did you invent the concept of past lives? So you probably um, didn't, right? Did I invent it? No, uh, no. Uh. Well, I'm just saying that because we 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 discover things, right, from teachings and philosophies and our friends and wherever we, we, we get these ideas and then we accept some like that sounds pretty reasonable and they, they become part of our our current philosophy our belief system right and and we've probably all had beliefs where yeah we believed them for a while and like mm, yeah, Santa Claus I don't think so or whatever our belief is right we all we kind of evolve our beliefs over time and I think what the Urantia book is asking us to do is to examine our beliefs and maybe see which ones we can are useful, which ones aren't. And and the way the Urantia book looks at reincarnation is probably different than the traditional way, like say Buddhism or something, you know, came up through the ancient, more ancient religions. And to me, reincarnation is kind of practical in a way. It's like, oh yeah, you're you're bad, so you're gonna come back as a toad, you know. It's like that's that's just punishment, you know. But in reality the the your book paints a picture of that the universe is progressive, right? Like I was talking about religions of fear looking backwards or religions of love looking forward. It's kinda of like picture they paint is that we're not going to go back into negative. We're not going to go, you know, we don't have to go through this endless cycle of, oh, you screwed up, so you're going to come back again as a monkey. You know, we don't have to, or as a human or whatever. It, it really says, you know, you've, you've started out on you know, the way of life everlasting, you know, and it's, it's all forward from here, you know. And mm-hmm. it, it talks about when we die, when we die and go into the slumber period, 
were eventually resurrected on what they call the mansion worlds or the heavenly worlds and were given a new body and our, our personality is still intact, our soul is still intact. And we kind of resume where we left off, right? We just, there's there's no going backwards. It's always a forward journey, right? And the only way we can go backwards, so to say, it's not really backwards, is, is if we just don't choose to be a spiritual being, if we just Hey, hey, I've looked this over and I'm not I'm not interested in living forever. Forget it, you know. I just want to be selfish and do my own thing. Well, you, then you probably wind up just becoming as if you never were. You just, you know, if you're not going to grow spiritually, it's kind of like if a tree is not going to grow leaves, it's probably going to be a dead tree pretty soon, right? And, and so we, if we're on the vine, so to say, of, of the crater, you know, we're, living have a living connection with source then we have to produce spiritual fruits just to stay on that vine otherwise we get pruned off you might say so that that's the only negative thing that can happen to us that <clears throat> yeah the next book that, you know i think it might be hard for some people to to kind of say oh that doesn't fit my beliefs and and, mm-hmm. and i never ask people I never ask people to give up any beliefs. I don't say, oh, you shouldn't think that. I always say, well, this is what the Arantia book says. You know, consider it. If it fits, great. If it doesn't, that's cool. You know, I I probably still have some beliefs that don't 100% fit with the Arantia teachings, and I'm, I'm working on them, thinking about them. You know, I was, I, was, I was pretty heavy into astrology when I found the Arantia book, and, you know, I was doing charts and stuff, and and I didn't, I've never stopped seeing astrology as a valuable tool, but I see it differently now because it, it said that, when I read that, it said that, well, you know, the stars have a certain amount of pull on you, but but not enough to really cause you to be somebody like, you know, it's like it said, our, our free will, it says our free will is much much more powerful a force than the pull of planets, right? I mean, the, uh-huh. you know, the tides will pull us this way and that. We might have some emotional little leanings one way or the other or whatever. And, you know, it's this and that. But it's but really our free will. We we can't give up our free will. So, oh, I couldn't help it. My, my son signed that I had to, you know, eat chocolate today, you know. I mean, we we got to be careful not to go down that path at all, right, and just... Because we have free will, and that's the most powerful gift that the, that the Creator gave us. It's like we can choose our destiny for better or ill, right? And there's nothing more powerful than that than our ability to choose our own path and hopefully choose righteousness over sin or, you know, an error. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does, you know, and even as you're saying that, I think that like like the Holy Bible or like the Quran or like the the uh, books that we have all over the world, you know, there's 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 years and years and years of interpretation that could take place. And so it's a dance between is it possible that the Urantia book leaves it open to say something in particular talking about this topic, um, to say, is it possible that uh, there are interpretations that would say, uh, oh, yeah, you know what? You can mul- come here multiple times as part of your involvement, and, it, and it's not a regression. It actually continues towards a forward mul- movement. And also there's, 
you move into spiritual realms as well and go in all kinds of other worlds. So so there's a dance between, is that in this book somewhere according to how someone might be able to interpret it? Or are we trying to get something to fit in a way that lines up with, you know, something that we believe, which of course is the, the problem of, or the challenge of all, of all uh, you know, pieces of information of this nature. So, I, and I also, yeah, I know the last time we talked, one thing that you mentioned that I, th- I think has to be taken really seriously is that there are things, the rancher says somewhere, there is a lot more that cannot be known in this, <laughs> like there's more information than we've revealed to you here. Type of thing. Yeah. Is that the case? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, well, you know, when you look at the universe, right, it's so immense. And there's so many levels of energy, so many frequencies, so many beings. And the Ranch Book says we can't tell you everything, but we can tell you what's relative to you and your, you know, they call us ascending pilgrims or ascending beings. Like that's what they classify mm-hmm. us as, ascending mortals. Like they, spiritual beings look at us and say, there's an ascending mortal, right? In other words, we're on a path of ascension to higher and higher levels. And it's a long universe journey, right? Long. And, uh, and, uh, and they say, we, you know, we can't tell you everything. I think you wouldn't even know what it was about. It's just too alien. But, but the ascension scheme of mortal progression and the material universes, right? I mean, there, there's more out there than the material universes with inhabited planets, but that's just one phase of universe reality that's currently happening, right? And there's other things going on that may be relative or unrelative to it that we don't even need to know about. Well, we'll find out about them someday, but that's not really what we need to focus on. Well, and so I think with just a, just about five, six minutes left, one question that I really want to ask you is, in paper 100, is, you know, there's people uh, in this world, I know you've known people like this, you may have been this type of person at one point, I've known people like this who just think there's just no point to all of this, right? And the Arantia book, to me, seems to be saying that the point really is kind of like like the goalpost is that we would attain sort of a God-likeness. Um, and even as the Urantia book says that, you know, it talks about in Chapter 7 of Paper 100, although the average mortal of Urantia cannot hope to attain the high perfection of character which Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth acquired while sojourning in the flesh, it is altogether possible for every mortal believer to develop a strong and unified personality along the perfected lines of the Jesus personality. Can you just kind of give your input? Like, is this the goal? And does it also, Rancho also say, even though it's the goal, behold, you at this point in time, you are a man, and we understand that. <laughs> yeah, well... The goal of the universe is perfected beings, right? That's the goal of the universe. Mm-hmm. The reason mm-hmm. the reason we we have woken up on this planet is because a creator being said it shall be so. 
that I will create offspring by the gazillions <laughs> across my far-flung universe. They will one day discover me, seek to be like me, and will go on this journey with me towards perfection. And um, that's what the whole seven trillion inhabited planets out there, as you look out into the night sky or look at Hubble pictures, these spiral galaxies are inhabited with trillions of planets, right? And we're all children of this creator. And it's almost like we have a homing beacon, right? It's like we're drawn towards the light, right? We sense there's somewhere to go. There's a home to get to, right? And gradually, we will just follow that beacon all the way back to the source where, where, where we came from, you know. And it's like I say, it's a long journey, but there is no other journey. I mean, this, that is the journey, right? Anything short of that is annihilation, to be frank. And it doesn't matter in some ways if we kind of dilly-dally and we kind of pick a few steps and, you know... But the main thing is that we're actually on on the path that we actually it's like there's power in declaring something right, and once you realize, mm-hmm. oh, this is a journey I get to go on, and I can choose the journey right, things shift you know it's like it's it's now you're like you're in the club, you know, <laughs> and things open <laughs> up right. Well, when you're out, when you're when you're not not in the club, right? The doors don't open for you. But when you're in, the, you're say, I'm okay. I I got it. I'm on the journey. Tell me, show me the signs, right? They will appear. The spirit of truth will always speak, saying, "This is the way." We'll just we'll just kind of know where the next step is. The step is because we've accepted the journey, right? So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we just have to work on develop developing this unified personality along the, you know, Jesus was a great model. If we could live like him, if everybody could live just this beautiful life like Jesus lived, then, yeah, it's, that's that's what he came to show us. You know, people have a lot of confusion about who Jesus was, but he was like the master. He, he lived just an exquisite life, a very perfected life, and and we can only do well to see how he lived and, and follow that. So. Thomas, you know, we never have enough time and, and our time is coming to a close today. It, you know, once again, it's just a toe in. It's like dipping a toe into the to one tiny part of, of the book. Um, but I want to thank you for just that this is, to me, just pointing people to the light, just pointing people to the light. This is one enormous resource for that and they can go to anybody can go to urantia.org to find out more information and and um with about 30 seconds left where else can well there's lots of sites truthbook.com urantiabook.org or urantia.org either one you can click on it and it'll say read you can just click on a paper that's interesting or you can listen to it put it on your ipod or whatever you have to listen to, and it's it's great. Just a load of you and take a walk and listen to a paper that's interesting. It's um, you know and get a, get a sample of it. Yeah, just I, I encourage people to do that. Thank you so much. I know we will in a few weeks come back together and find a whole new part of the book to try to dive into. Thank you, Kendall. I've really enjoyed our time together.
Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye.